Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for your welcome. Um, it, is, it is great to be here uh, again. Um, actually, last time I was here was just before we did the, 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 um, the gig last year, and we were practising here um, for this. So it was, it was, it's great to be back for that. Um, the subject that I was given was Gates to His Presence, Humility. Um, I, I was going to do the, uh, the obvious joke that, of course, humility, I am a world expert on humility. It is my finest quality, um, but I won't. Um, so uh, the, the thing that if you want to ever really wind Laurie up, which I'm yes. sure, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, the, 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 the worst thing you can ever say to a vicar at the end of the service is nice sermon. Yeah, nice sermon is the, is the one thing which we, we absolutely... I'm just going to check on time so I, I don't ramble too much. Uh, nice sermon is, is just sort of the ultimate damned with faint praise kind of approach. Because it, the word nice, we all know the word nice has got that, that ring about it which just says it, it, it's lacking in substance. Uh, I, and I, um, I always remember a, a sermon I preached when somebody was an all-age uh, sermon, all-age talk. And on, on the way out of church, this guy said to me, that was very entertaining. And I had to say, I really wanted to smack it. Because, sorry, that's on the, ta- on the recording now, isn't it? Um, I, I, because, because uh, A, I'm not supposed to smack people. But B, B just, uh, it wasn't intended to be entertaining. It was intended to be... Uh, enthusiastic because the topic was about a relationship with God which I think should be enthusiastic, should be in whatever form that means for each one of us. And there is this this thing about being very English and being about very uh, how we respond to things. And one of the things that, that is, is really hard sometimes is uh, it is hard when somebody pays you compliments. It's really, really difficult when somebody comes up to you and says, wow, that was great. Uh, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 62, I've got five years or so to go to retirement, and this is my last appointment in Yateley. So I, I'm, I'm of that view of going out with a bang um, and saying to God, right, I am not going to hold back on anything. So I've suddenly found myself that my uh, preaching has become far more enthusiastic and I've been released to say the things that I've always wanted to say, but I've always had that, that sort of being held back. And suddenly I'm getting people going, God really spoke to me in that. And you have this thing of, of oh, that's really nice. Thank you so much. And you find yourself backing away as if to say, please don't compliment me because I really do not know how to cope with it. And it's something that we have that, that actually we are reserved because receiving compliments, receiving that positivity actually is quite challenging. And it made me think when I was thinking about this evening, you know, yet it's not the same when we see that with Jesus. When Jesus receives the disciples' praise, when it says at the, the night of the resurrection, they worshipped him. They, and it says in, in what follows so that Jesus met them on a mountain and they worshipped him. You don't have Jesus going, oh, no, it's all right, okay. don't worry about it, guys. I'm, I'm perfectly okay. That's really kind of you to offer me this. But No, Jesus laps it up. And actually, what we do in our worship, even the very name worship coming together, is to bring this praise to God because God loves it. 
God absolutely loves it when we worship him because that's what he's made us for, is to worship him. And yet we have this, this difficult, I don't want to, sorry, I'm not going to go on about this, this thing, that we really are not quite sure about how to, how to do that. And my own feeling for myself is, is if I can't receive that where somebody's going, I mean, I, yeah, I always do blame him. Uh, you know, somebody says, nice vicar, nice sermon vicar, nice vicar sermon, nice sermon vicar. I go blame him because he gave it to me. But God revels in our worship. Um, I, I once, uh, going back a, a long time when we were in Bath, I did my curacy in Bath. So we left there um, a, a long time ago, about 25 years ago now. And as a leaving present, somebody gave me a balloon ride from Victoria Park, uh, right outside, right in front of the Royal Crescent, a balloon ride out of, of Bath. And um, on this particular occasion, usually the prevailing winds means that, that the balloon takes you towards Bristol. On this occasion, it took us the other way. So we went right across the city. And just by sheer coincidence, Bath rugby team were playing at the time. And by sheer, <coughs> sheer coincidence, they scored a try, which is an incredibly rare thing for Bath to do these days, particularly if you're a rugby fan. Um, Bath don't do that sort of thing anymore. Uh, and I, I, I'm not... This is absolutely true, and I'm not exaggerating. <coughs> we watched... I watched from this balloon, some, some however many hundred feet above it, as you watch these players running around, and then one of them goes over. And suddenly, about two seconds later, there was this roar which came up from the ground. This absolute roar of excitement, of joy, of happiness. And I thought, that's how God must feel sometimes. God must go, wow, is that great? And that, that thought that Jesus receives the praise, and yet he is the example of humility. And how do we handle that idea of being real and actually going, yes, it's really good. God has done something really good in me and through me. But how do I, how do I connect that with the idea of being humble? Well, Philippians 2, if you've got, if you've got a, a, a Bible or an app um, on your phone, Philippians 2, the classic description of humility um, Philippians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say what that mindset is. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. So first of all, Jesus is, is there with God at creation. He's there outside of time. From the beginning of time, he is there. And he doesn't count that something to be grasped. But Paul says he, he didn't see equality with God, a thing to be grasped. Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So not only does he give up heaven, he gives up the glories. He gives that to become born as a, a, a man and taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross and what we see in Jesus's humility 
is he, he is ready to give up this. He's ready to give up heaven. He's ready to give up the glories. He could have been born in a palace. He could have been born anywhere that God wanted him to be. No, he took, chose the lowliest form. And he gave that to the lowest of the low. And then went to death. Not just any old death where he died in his sleep. But he went to sacrifice of himself uh, on a cross. Therefore... So link the therefore with the have this mind at the start of those verses. Because Paul says, because look at it, have this mindset that Jesus had. And because of that mindset, therefore God has raised him, highly exalted and bestowed him on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, it is through that humility of Jesus that he is raised to the glory of God. It is through the humility, his capacity to work and then to receive that, that praise, but him going ongoing, on, onward, downwards, if you like, in humility, that God lifts him up. And to me, there is something there which is the first thing that I, I wanted to <clears throat> just grasp, if you like, is that in Jesus, who is our model of humility, in Jesus, there is that model of humility, but there is also that model of how to handle praise, that Jesus receives this praise, but sees it as something that inspires him to go even more humble. It actually inspires him to go even deeper into the work that his father has for him. Um, I'm sure some of you have been aware about what's been going on uh, at Asbury uh, and um, the revival that's been going on in, in America. If you haven't, just put Asbury into, uh, into Google and you will get the live stream. Um, I think it's four and a half, five weeks ago now, some people started a prayer meeting. And I think it's still going on. And people are... Are, are coming and being drawn to the point that this town, they even had the local police had to shut the roads into the town because too many people, the infrastructure of the town couldn't handle it. And people are drawn to something. And what is fascinating to me about what's going on in Asbury is the fact that what God is doing there is so humble. It is not some big, uh, you know, big name American preacher who is, is, is stood there and it's happening. This is just a group of students and they are just praying and yet God's presence is tangible there. Watch it and you'll see what I mean. Um, I've been up in Harrogate this week uh, at the uh, New Wine Leaders meeting, 1,800 people. And there was something of that sense there. And I don't know, how does one put it? Um, uh, I don't know whether it's an infectious something coming over from Asbury. Um, I've got a friend who's got a friend whose daughter went there, but I don't think that's the, you know, I don't think it's, it's reinfected us through this, this. But there is something which says, well, what's going on? And what we sensed at New Wine, what I sensed at New Wine this week was it's a very different conference to usual. Very often there's big sort of shouty American preachers uh, they weren't there. Um, there. But there was, there's quite often big band. They had the big band there, but a lot of it was two guys on acoustic guitars. And there was a lot of simplicity of people just being in wonder and worship. 
And one of the things which was very, uh, very important in that was that they were talking about the idea of finally reflecting who God is and coming in humility before him. You know, there's, there's no verse in, in Isaiah 57, Isaiah 57, who says, um, this, this happens to be in the older language, but I think it works. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the holy, the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I think it is when we come on our knees before God that we actually, um, uh, we actually sense more of the wonder and glory of God. And, you know, um, so I'm just checking before I, before I say anything. Yes, you have. You've still got hassocks. Um, there is something that, how, how often are the hassocks used? Don't answer that. We've got hassocks, they're mainly in a cupboard in the vestry. Because actually the idea of getting on our knees before God, well, no, we prefer to stand and use the, uh, what we are told is the New Testament way of standing with our hands out. Nothing wrong with that, don't get me wrong. But there was something very special when uh, we all had to try and kneel, which is, if, if ever you've been in a big concert arena, it's not designed for you to kneel between the seats. But we were invited to kneel. And there was something really powerful about coming in that, that moment. And when we did that, there was about five minutes of total silence. And when you're in a room with 1,800 other people and nobody says anything, there is something incredibly powerful. And that's what God seemed to be saying to us. You see, this model of humility that Jesus brings to us is one which is about humility before God. But it's also about humility before each other. Light of the night of the Last Supper, Jesus washes the other disciples' feet. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. There is something very powerful about coming down that Jesus had to get down and on his knees before them. And that wonderful little snippet of that story where Peter says no. And I always imagine how Peter must have felt as he sees God himself, the son of God, kneeling before him. Because Jesus would have had to have get down, got down and kneel before Peter and he says, I want to serve you. And that sense of that humility, we lose that far too easily because we become very confident in God. I, I, I do this in God, I've got this ministry, I do this. And, and because I don't know you, I can probably say this, you know, we get caught up and we can become arrogant. It's very easy. I... I, um, um, I, I met with lots of friends uh, up at Harrogate and the thing which strikes me some of the people that are, I've known for years who now some of them have gone into senior leadership positions is their humility and they I know they would still be ready to get down on their knees before somebody and wash their feet and that is something at which our we can say it's an expression of our humility before God. Yes, we can say that, and I, I, I truly believe that. But it actually begins with our humility before God. In other words, we don't 
do our humility before God by kneeling before other people. It is an expression. We don't consciously kneel before somebody going, I'm going to consciously kneel before you to show how humble I am. It is because we have that humility before God that automatically drives us to our knees before them to serve them. So this idea that, that I've been given for tonight, the gate to his presence and humility, is just about us actually coming on our knees in humility before God, full stop. Not coming before him with humility so that we can then. It is that's where, in one sense, we're going to be for eternity. Yes, we're going to be standing around the throne, and yes, those images of that. But ultimately, we kneel, because that's what Jesus, uh, will happen, as it says in Philippians 2, every knee will bow. And we will be forced to our knees, forced in humility. Wouldn't it be better to choose it, to choose that humility now? For me, worship, when we worship God, and, and when people like Johnny lead us in worship, what they're doing is this idea that, that the technical word is transcendence. We, we transcend, we move across from the, the physical reality of where we are into the spiritual reality of heaven itself. The transcendence is we move so that we actually stand, I, I, you know, I'd almost say like the anteroom of heaven. It's as though through those doors is heaven. And every now and again, God opens it and says, go on, have a glimpse. And it's not that he, he says you can't have more. It's that your brain would be blown apart if you could understand the fullness of that, if you could see that. I mean, let's face it, Isaiah in Isaiah 6 has that moment, and he's just completely jabbering. Um, there's Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's jabbering. Most people who see that jabber. It's, it's a natural human response to Jabba because we simply cannot cope with it. And what worship is about is us being taken into that place where we get a glimpse of heaven. We, we and we then join in. The difficulty, and again, I say this very carefully, and I've met Johnny once or twice, and I can say this because I know this is not true about Johnny. But how many times have we seen worship leaders who, who it's it's very difficult for them to keep their feet on the ground and to realise who they are and what they're doing. One of the things I love about some of the, the worship leading at, at New Wine is they've moved on from the celebrity worship leader 10, 15 years ago. And actually, I always felt Matt Redman looked highly embarrassed when he was, uh, you know, fated at New Wine because Matt Redman, he, he, he completely, uh, he, he had a massive role in revolutionising worship within the church. And yet he seemed to be completely embarrassed by it. And I thought, good on you, mate. Because actually it's not about you. You've probably seen that. There's a, there's a wonderful uh, video which does the rounds, which is a spoof video of one of these CDs. Buy this, buy this CD and it's worship all about me. And it's replaced the word God with me. So, you know, every song is, aren't I wonderful? You know, I give praise to myself. That sort of stuff. And it's, yeah, it's poking a little bit at the tragedy, which is where we get fooled into losing sight of humility because we get caught up in our own, um, in our own importance. So where do we go with this? How does this come about? How do we get to this point where we are on our knees? Yes, we can choose to be when we are in worship, 
And we can choose to, when we actually do lead people in worship or when we are in worship, is to go on our knees as a, as a physical sign to God that we're wanting to express that. But it's about a mindset. It's about an attitude. And it's about this humility to God, to each other, and to the world outside there. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But there's how do we get to that point, that mindset of humility? Well, let, let's actually think about, about how we react to, to other people. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most misunderstood documents. And that sounds really shocking when you hear somebody say that. I think it's misunderstood by so many Christians. And I mean by Christians. Why? Because I think they misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, this is my manifesto. You know that in a few weeks' time there's going to be elections and all these local um, wannabe MPs, or what, no, not MPs, wannabe councillors, will stick something through your letterbox going, do you know if you vote for me, this is what it's going to be like and it's going to be awesome. I'm going to put right everything in the world. And we all know that they can't. We all know that what they describe on their manifesto is a wish list. And we all know, because we see it in national government, that people say, well, you said that, you're going to do that. So I see the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, as Jesus' manifesto for the kingdom. And he says, this is what it is going to be like in the kingdom when there is a king and there are people who are worshipping him. Now, people take that and... and I'm going to be honest now with you. I was bullied for eight years at school because I turned the other cheek. I had no self-respect for myself because every time I turned the cheek, they'd hit the other one. And that was, I was a doormat. And it was only, now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, I'm not advocating a, a gospel of violence here. What I'm saying was, when I actually stood up for myself and gained my self-respect, other people respected me. Now, what I'm not saying, and you're going to say, well, so how do you square that with the Sermon on the Mount? I don't. Because the Sermon on the Mount says that if I went... Sorry, what's your name? Sorry. Celia. Say I went up to Celia so, and I annoyed her so much... That Celia, who I know would never do anything like this, lost it completely with me and went frack across my face like that. Then I would, uh, my response would be according to what Jesus says within the kingdom, I go like that. And I'm sure Celia would go, oh, Brian. Do you see what I mean? Our reaction is because we recognise. I should have done that really the other way around to the guy, you know, if I got so cross with you. But it's, it's that thing of if we have the right attitude, then what happens in our humility and our service to God means that we react in the way that is according to the to Sermon on the Mount. But the problem is, is too, pe- too many people have said, oh, we've got to do it exactly as that within the world... And what I'm trying to say is there is a slightly different way that we do it within the world, that we do it within the kingdom. 
There are very often times that we do everything in the Sermon on the Mount into the, king, into the wood because we're trying to let the kingdom spill out in. So we go the extra mile. So we do everything that it says about forgiving and all that stuff. We do it. But predominantly, Jesus is saying, if we do that as the kingdom, then in John 13, 34 and 35, this is how people will know that you love me. Because there is this kingdom where there is a king where people are humble before the king and they worship him. And so that if they are... If something goes wrong, they know immediately. So we know immediately that we've done something wrong and we immediately respond accordingly. And this idea of humility, this humility towards each other, um, the problem that, that, that um, I, I've got two, two friends who are pacifists. Now, forgive me if you're a pacifist. I don't wish to offend you. But I find pacifism very, very hard to justify because having been somebody who, who was bullied, I look at it and I go, is that really how God intended it for me? But more to the point, if somebody's bullying my child or bullying somebody or coming down the road to a threatening violence, I will stand up to them. And there is something, these things we grapple with because in humility, we need to grapple with them before God so that we actually can work out what the right response is. So for me, what is going on in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is saying, be humble, be holy, be, be all that, that Jesus is. Because Jesus turned the other cheek to people who were not in the kingdom. Now you might say, well, Tim, you've just destroyed your own argument in that. But what I said is the kingdom spills out. That's how we show that love. But predominantly, Jesus is saying, right, if you have a kingdom where Jesus is the king, where God's throne is, is there and Jesus sits enthroned on, on the throne at the right-hand side of God for the nations of the world and for the kingdom, then this is how you will react. And he says that humility before that throne is what God calls us to be. He does call us to be humble with other people. And I want to come to that in, in, uh, now. Jesus was not a doormat, though. He was in control. Even when he is before Pilate, and he is being accused, and his back is opened from the wounds of the torture, and there is crucifixion, he is still in control because he knows he's humble before God in his, in his understanding of God. So the question I would ask now is, okay, so what does this look like if we say we're humble before God, we're humble before each other as part of this kingdom of God, which Jesus says we are all to be a part of. What does it look like with the people outside? So how does it happen, for example, if there is that question of how we respond to violence or how we respond to things? Um, and so quick story. I, I went um, about three weeks ago. I went to the first time I've ever been to a humanist funeral. Um, and uh, not surprisingly, the, the funerals I do are rather different. Uh, the person who had died uh, was not, as far as I was aware, I don't think he had a faith. And in one sense, I actually felt this was a really honest occasion. I felt that actually, no, it would have been dishonest to talk about faith if the person didn't have faith, but that's, that's how it worked. A hundred people came together. We had a, a, a service, a gathering. I'm not sure what they called it. And they expressed their appreciation of him, of knowing him, and they came to say goodbye. And they came essentially to draw a line under his life and say, he's no more. 
And perhaps in one way they were saying he lives on through the memories of his children, through his relationships. But there was a sense of drawing a final line. And uh, afterwards this lady came up to me and she said, you're a vicar, aren't you? And I went, yes. And she said, what did you think? And I paused a moment. I paused a moment because I knew that I had to balance the realities. The reality that my honest opinions would be insensitive. Um, they'd be insensitive to her and to those around me and his family in particular. I could be seen to being judgmental by saying something which could be destructive and about everything that happened. Um, I could be seen to be dismissive and superior uh, about the way I perceive the direction in which the world is moving. So I said, it was interesting. And I knew I wouldn't get away with it because this quite determined lady goes, in what way? <laughs> and uh, she was genuinely interested. And she wanted to know what my thoughts were, and what followed was what I would say was a really appropriate conversation. Um, I explained that the underlying thinking of what had happened was different to my own Christian worldview. I said to her it was based on the premise that this, this funeral was based on the premise that this was final, this was uh, the deceased that simply ceased to exist, and I explained my belief that each of us has a soul, a spirit, the essence of who we are, and that I believe our souls do carry on after death. And I spoke of my belief in a faith in Jesus Christ as the one who enabled me to have the hope that when I die, I go on from here. Uh, and I would love to tell you that she promptly fell on her knees and gave her life to Jesus, uh, but that was not what happened. Um, my perception was, genuine perception, was that she listened to what I said, uh, she accepted it as a traditional Christian understanding, an understanding which she couldn't share. And uh, she, it wasn't something she felt she wanted to embrace. And the result was a sensible conversation, which meant that we parted as friends. We disagreed, but we parted as friends. And in the world today, even more so day by day in the world today, we have this question of how we disagree well. I don't know whether you've come across uh, this book, um, this book, Loving Disagreement by Christopher Landau. If you haven't come across it, I can highly recommend it. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, and it's uh, a book, it's, it's Loving Disagreement, The Problem is the Solution. And what he basically says is, how is it that... Um, well, let me read what it says on the back of it. Loving disagreement is the problem. Christians have become too relaxed about the way disagreements destroy unity and undermine mitness, uh, mission. I think we all know that. Uh, it goes on to say every church has its disagreements, but why do they so easily turn toxic? Loving disagreement is the problem. We need to learn how to actually handle things that we don't agree with. And we need to learn about what this humility looks like between us and also how we deal with that or dealing with those who are beyond the, the walls of the kingdom. Um, and 
uh, at this uh, this conference, this new wine conference, uh, there was a speaker who gave quite a passionate uh, um, speech talk about the disagreements in the Church of England. Whoa, there's a good place to start. Uh, and afterwards, <coughs> there was somebody I met who said, oh, I totally disagreed with him. And you immediately have that fact, well, if Christians are not agreeing with them, each other, how are we supposed to agree with people outside? <coughs> the problem is disagreement in the world is rife. You know, it's rife in the world. You've got this, this whole issue about a, a potential leader in Scotland who's not going to be allowed to be leader because of her Christian views, which perhaps go against the, the general tenor of views in the world today. That's putting it nicely. It's the problem in the Church of England, where we have the Church of England taking a decision which many, many people, myself included, feel is, is a mistake, is a wrong direction in which to go. And this, this question of how we handle this, and how we handle this with humility. Because if we're talking about humility as the gateway to heaven, we've got to get into our heads the, the fact that that humility begins with how we respond in situations like that. It begins in the situation how we respond to, to the, whether it's a physical slap or whether it's a metaphorical slap or a moral slap, a slap in the face from somebody who says, I don't agree with you. And how we handle that humility, the humility we have before God is expressed in how we do it with other people. And I'm sure at St. Leonard's, just as everywhere else, there are disagreements. I don't know what they are. I'm sure there are disagreements between people, and I'm sure there are disagreements with Laurie and people saying, oh, well, I don't think Laurie should be doing this, or I think Laurie should be doing that. And very often, <clears throat> it can become one or two, a vocal minority, who just want to have their say, and they're unhappy. And my response is to say, and as I say, I don't know you, so, so you, can, you can take this however you want, is actually... One of the marks of humility is saying, grow up. Just grow up and start being mature. You know, the, the, one of the titles of one of the sessions in the, in the course that goes with this book says, the central Christian call to love your neighbour, even in church. You know, there is, it requires us to really grapple with these things. My home groups are are going through this, and to be honest, I'm thinking, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in some of those. How they deal with this. It is time for us to grow up. Jesus said in, in John 17 about, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Incredibly fundamental approach that Jesus says, look, the reality is they are in the world. Now, a, a very, very, uh, you know, the, the, the reality is often, as a church, we have this thing that we, we're in the world, yes, yeah, and that's fine, and we, we get on with it, and we have this thing where on Sunday we have the peace, and so we all go and shake hands, even with the people that we really don't like, and the people that we totally disagree with, and we do it through gratitude, hi, how are you? We all do it, believe me, I do it. We have to. And the reason for that is because Jesus said, if you've got something against somebody before you go up to the altar, deal with it. We've got to start actually dealing with this with humility. And Jesus said, look, the reality is you are in the world. So if we're going to be waking up and smelling the coffee, 
We've got to actually grapple with what it means to disagree, what it means to have that humility to accept somebody else may have an equally valid but a different view. Um, we can't extract ourselves from the world. We can't do it. Quick bit of theology. Uh, Jesus is God. Yes? Okay. Yeah, we're all agreed on that. Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we can all go with that. Jesus proves this, <clears throat> that he is of God, that he does miraculous things, uh, and uh, he says uh, wonderful wisdom, which is from the Holy Spirit, clearly of God. Yeah, happy with that. Yeah, good. Um, Jesus is not of this world. Because he doesn't have the sin. There is the fundamental difference. In every other way, Jesus gets tired. Jesus does all the things that humans do. But he is not of this world. Now, if we're disciples of Jesus Christ, this is part two of the, the theology, then we are, as the Bible says, in Christ. Yes? Right. If we are in Christ and he's not of the world, then we're not of the world. Yeah? See, that's the bit we sometimes forget. If he's not of the world and we're in Christ, then we're not of the world either. Now, what we end up trying to do is the splits. We try to keep one world, one foot in the world and the other in Jesus. Because I'm supposed to be in Jesus, but I quite like being in the world. And being in the world is the bit which is naturally, I don't have to worry about being humble. But if I'm going to be with, and we end up doing the spiritual splits. And believe me, I can't do it. You wouldn't want to see it and I wouldn't want to do it. So this whole idea of how we keep this, this imagery of humility in our relationships as the gateway to worship, the gateway to our relationship with God, it comes back to our relationship with God in Jesus. And this idea that we were talking about when I was here a couple of weeks ago, in the vine, the idea, if you, if you were there, you'd have heard me talk about the avatar connection. Um, that if you've seen avatar and the way they connect to the, to the animals, they've got this thing which sort of connects so that they become one. We become one with Jesus. And it is in that unity, which means that if he is not, in the, he is not of the world, then we can be with him so that we are not we're in the world, but not of it. And Jesus goes on to say, sanctify them. He says, sanctify them. What he means by that is go on working in them. Go on making it possible. You see, I want to be more like Jesus. I don't want to be more like me. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to think like him, speak like him, do like him. Because that's who I think God wants me to be. But I'm an unfinished article. And I pray that the Holy Spirit is gradually changing me into that. There's a long way to go. It's the sanctification. And Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. So where have we got to? Where have we got to in all of this? God calls us to be humble. Humility is one of those facets of human, uh, godly human actions it's it's what we become it is the way that we come towards being closer to god when we worship that humility is key to us being able to appreciate it because we don't come in our own right we come only in what jesus has done for us so when we actually talk about humility it is the gateway to heaven because it's the gateway to our relationship with god and we have to be on our knees before him metaphorically and spiritually, if not literally. 
If we do that, we will then be on our knees to each other naturally. We will wash each other's feet. We will naturally know how to, res- uh, how to act. And that idea of the kingdom of God and how people act, that will all happen. Everything in the Sermon on the Mount will happen within the community because we are reacting in exactly the way that Jesus said people within the kingdom will react. And we will react in that way to each other. And that will then spill out into the people around us. It will spill out to those people that we are trying to reach for the kingdom who we need to show that humility, to show that love, to go that extra mile, to return the other cheek, to do all those things. We will naturally begin to do that because we know that is part of the right relationship. And if we go down this pathway and go down this pathway of humility, it will lead us to a deeper, deeper relationship with God in Jesus Christ. And that is what I think is at the heart of all of this. Because, like I said to you the other day, um, that's what God wants you and I to be so embedded in him. We're not of this world, but we actually are in it. That it becomes that reality. When, um, in Genesis 2... God breathes Ruach, the spirit, into the life of that, into that piece of mud to give it life. That's what he wants. And key to that spirit is the humility of who breathed that into us. Who gives us that? Colossians says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. 1 Peter talks about clothing ourselves with humility towards one another. There is this constant plan of God that we should grow this humility in order that we then can grow into who he wants us to be. So my prayer for for you... But my prayer for myself is that we grow into a a more humble state of mind so that we can worship God, we can build our community and we can reach out into the world around us.